0: Say anything. The hello, hello, hello. Yeah, it's not up yet, so right. it's fine, but I have a request. Hello, hello. So in the last several days, knowing that I was going to share a few stray thoughts at the beginning of the year, I thought about what was really stirring in my heart, in my mind, and kind of in this world. It's this kind of a, I would say the overarching feeling is this kind of heartache for Heartache for so many things, but heartache in particular for the, the endemic or institutional or just just pervasive injustice in the world. And experiencing injustice, the, the differences, the way uh, our fellow humans, creatures, have Uh, Opportunity and um, privilege and just the differences in our circumstances in the face of so many elements of our lives that are universally true. And as a, as a Dharma student, as a student of awakening, a student of nature, you could say, Dharma meaning nature or truth or the way things are. Uh, we, of course, the way things are in the most, in the conventional, more relative senses, is, is we live in a world of differences, the differences in opportunity and privilege. We live in, in very common conditioned tendencies to attract or gravitate toward, the, toward, toward those who look like us, who we feel safer with, to avoid those who look different from us because of some, some almost uh, primal sense of, of unsafety and how these, the, this human conditioning... This, this level of Dharma uh, tends to condition a world where we, where we almost innocently, almost very unconsciously separate, isolate. And in our isolation, we then project our own vulnerabilities as ill will, as blame on others, and pretty soon we have this world of, of um, separation this world of inequality, this world of injustice. That's one level of the Dharma that we have to respect and and acknowledge that it's part of our human condition, part of our human conditioning to other. And at the same time, as Dharma students, we look at the universe, at the, the deeper Dharma, the deeper truth that each one of us all beings are made up of... Uh, I was reading someone... I just was looking down at some of my little papers here, and this was this was from a fellow named Stephen, Stuart Holmes from 1973. How can we fret and stew subspecies or something or other under the calm gaze of ancient Tao? The salt of the sea is in our blood... The calcium of the rocks is in our bones. The genes of 10,000 generations of stalwart progenitors are in our cells. The sun shines and we smile. The winds rage and we bend before them. The blossoms open and we rejoice. Earth is our long home. As a person of this earth, we all breathe the same air. We, we all breathe. Are born and die we all are vulnerable we all get sick we we all want often want what we don't have and often don't want what we do have and this is universal and the more deeply we we experience our universal nature the the air that we share the consciousness that moves, that lives inside of you and lives inside of me that simple awareness that has no beginning, has no end, no height, no depth, no color, no shape, no beginning, no end, that mystery that lives in us as as the wakefulness through which we perceive, that we share. There's not one difference in those universal truths between one person or another. And from that deep dharma perspective, it becomes completely absurd. We become constitutionally incapable of tolerating, if we see it, if our eyes are open, of tolerating injustice. And it's why the, the effect of going deeply into our nature, the, the effect of that, is to unleash the only possible response to our, the wisdom of our interbeing Wisdom of our universal connection. The only possible response is compassion. The only possible response is to be unable to really rest, rest completely peacefully until until institutionalized injustice is end is ended, in whatever form your own action takes. And so, for my. My, my own individual contribution is to say that my heart aches for this. My, I, I, I have to shout from the hilltops, it makes no sense that any person on this earth is treated any better than anyone else. And if we, can, if we wake up every day and we're not aware of that, those differences and not thinking about it and not figuring out what we can actually do about it and acting in some way, then we're asleep and to me, the beginning of the year, even though the beginning of a year is a concept, <laughs> when did last year end and this one begin? I mean, when our eyes are closed, we don't know what day it is. We don't know whether it's... We don't, we don't know. Time is just a concept, but it's a shared one. It's just like all those shared condition, conditioned habits that we have. And it's a and it's useful in a way that it, it, it marks the... It marks a time that we can reflect on what's, what's happened before and to plant the seeds or set in motion what we would like to, to manifest in our lives and what we'd like to reduce in our lives. And maybe tonight is not so true, but most of the years, the first Tuesday evening of the year, this place is packed. We tend, to, we tend to believe in these kinds of concepts of New Year and New Year resolutions. And just for the sake of it, let's just consider that this, there really is a New Year. It's not just a concept. And what kind of seeds do you want to plant? What do you want to remember that you easily forget? And for me, I easily forget my privilege. I easily forget I have to say, because the, this, especially this culture, it's been, set, it's been set up around protecting my privilege, because I'm white, and I'm a guy. So for me, I have to, I want to remember. I never want to forget. I want to wake up, and I want to make sure that everyone feels as, can, can relax like I can. Not have to think about who, not have to think about who you are, not have to feel unsafe in, in different places. Again, I'd say that knowing that that um, that it's almost built into our neurology, or it's built into our system to gravitate toward those who who remind us of ourselves. Part of our narcissism. Part of our, our survival. But at the same time I want to in every possible way, as my New Year's resolution, stay awake, not go to sleep. I want to I want to remember that what lives inside of you, every one of you, lives inside of me. And if I forget I'm just a walking corpse. I'm just dreaming. So anybody want to volunteer their own New Year's resolution tonight? Oh, I think that it's best if you try to speak up. It's pretty quiet tonight in the neighborhood, so we don't have our proper mics, but is anybody willing to speak into the silence? And I will try to be your voice if others can't hear you. Not everyone here clamoring to either confess your delusions or, or, or say what you like, please. you say about how is that related to New Year's resolutions? Living in equanimity. So, so living in equanimity. So Noemi wants to live in equanimity in the new year. Does anybody share that kind of aspiration to live in equanimity? You've got lots of nods in the room. Yes. So yes there are practices that will support you fact, we could all as a group, and I think we especially need it during this, this, uh, this particular time in our country's life, feels a little bit like we're more unsafe than usual, uh, more under siege, more, uh, more prone to fall into despair or ill will frustration. So the practice of equanimity, it's a very central practice of the Buddha. It was the first, first of all, it's the last of the seven factors of enlightenment uh, in the Buddha's teaching on the factors of enlightenment. It's the last of the perfections of an awakened person um, called the paramis. And it's also the last of what are called the four Brahma Viharas, the, the uh, heavenly abodes or the immeasurable qualities that are the natural expression of, uh, of our consciousness when, they're, when we're awake. And equanimity is, for those who don't know this word, equanimity is the unshakable balance of, of heart and mind that can sit in the middle of be in the middle of joys and sorrows and, re- and remain at ease, re- remain balanced, remain, have one's well-being not dependent on whether circumstances turn out the way you want them. So it helps to balance the tendency to, to fall into despair when things are so painful in this world or uh, fall into a state of greed when you feel some kind of lack uh, to, um, to be able to, uh, to especially not fall into to ill will when there's so much that is disagreeable. To keep your heart open in, in a world of, that has so many um, levels of suffering. If you're born, you suffer in one form or another. So the traditional practice of equanimity, and the one that I would recommend for the new year, the shorthand version is things are as they are, whether I like it or not. So things are as they are. So this is the first reflection is that, that um, whether or not, even though I wish things were otherwise, things are as they are. So I want to first, try to establish a sense of harmony. Can I sit with things? Can I open to the way things are? Can I can I just say, can I know that things are that the world is the way it is and this is how the world has come to be given all the circumstances that, that led us here. That the way things are, are not an, it's not an accident. Everything that has come to be is the result of karma, is the result of conditioning. So as things come together, things manifest. In other words, another way of saying it is that the, the highest truth, the highest order is reality. It's another way, another way to talk about it is, in some ways things are meant to be the way they are right now. How do we know that? Because that's the way they are. So to just to know that things are as they are and to feel what that's like to resonate. Okay, Even though I wish things were otherwise, things are as they are. Try to try that on for a moment. So that's the general. Whether I like it or not, things are as they are. And then what? And then both in a wider sense or even with the people and the situations in our lives, we can expand that reflection of how things came to be the way they are by saying all beings are the inheritors of their karma, of the circumstances. So all beings are the heirs of their karma. Their happiness, our happiness, or our unhappiness depends on our karma, not on our will or our wish. So when it comes to the near and dear ones in your life, especially the ones that you wish were different, you wish were were not causing themselves or others suffering, and this could be our politicians as well. we reflect all beings, this person who I'm thinking about, or these people who I'm thinking about, this person is the inheritor of their karma. Their happiness or their unhappiness depends on their actions or their karma, not on my will or my wish. So this this kind of Understanding says, "I will." It, the hidden meaning in it is, "I will do everything I can to change this person or to change this world." But whether or not that person changes or the world changes is beyond my will or wish. I may not be able to make things different. Now, if if that was just standing alone, it would sound very. Just on its own, it would sound like indifference. I'll do all I can, but it may not work out. But this is a quality, this quality of equanimity balances our deep, caring. That, what I talked about before, I really, really care about having the world be a more, a more just place, harmonious place. But whether it becomes a more just place is is according to karma, according to conditions, not necessarily according to my will or my wish. And reflecting in that way allows me not to fall into frustration and despair. It's balance, it brings balance. That's equanimity's function, is to balance our compassion so that it doesn't, so that we don't become so brokenhearted we can't function. It balances our love so that we don't become so attached to, uh, to um, sentimentally to the people who in our lives. So that we, we love them, we care for them, but we also let them go because we know that separation is inevitable. Now having that kind of balance is not something that we usually reflect on. But, it's, but it's, the, it's, in some ways, it's the secret to, uh, to finding a way of being well, independent of circumstances. Being what the Buddha called truly happy, the happiness of peace. The happiness de- that depends on circumstances, or someone being present, or someone being different than the way they are, that's the happiness of bondage. The happiness of dependency, the happiness of hunger, uh, happiness that's only satisfied by getting what you want. That happiness is not really happiness. So equanimity balances that kind of dependent happiness with the happiness of that, that's, um, that's less conditioned, that's more free, doesn't depend on circumstances. So when it comes to the, the people in our life who we love, another version of the practice of equanimity that's very close to everything I've already described is an internal reflection that you can do as a practice every day. You can do the first thing I, you can reflect all day long, many times a day, many quickies. Things are as they are, things are as they are. Although I wish things were otherwise, things are as they are. That's one. Second one, to reflect over and over and over again. All beings are the heirs of their karma. Their happiness or their unhappiness does not depends on their actions, not on my will or my wish. The last one that I'll talk about, especially when it comes to people you really care about, the, re, the reflection is, You hold them in your heart. You hold them in your mind's eye. You say, I care about you. I care about you, but I cannot keep you from suffering. I care about you, but I cannot keep you from suffering. So all of these remind us that uh, that to, to love is the natural expression of awakening. But if our love is not balanced with this quality of equanimity, we just, we just get blown by the, by the sea of circumstances. Because if you're born in this world, there are eight worldly winds that blow through your life. Praise and blame, gain and loss, fame and shame, pleasure and pain. So that just comes with the territory. So that's a great thing to practice this time of year and especially with the political situation, the nuclear situation, the, the, the financial situation, if our well-being is completely dependent on how things go, you're going to be miserable. And you don't have to be. A little bit, yes, if you care. If you don't ache a little bit, and I think we have to follow that ache, follow your heartbreak, as I think it was Andrew Harvey said. At the same time, you have to do that with equanimity. So anyone else want to talk about your resolutions? Equanimity. Oh, please, Catherine. wants to know more about the bodhisattva vow specifically the the recitation that delusions are numberless i vow to i vow to end them yes this is a this is a it's a deep a deep reflection (laughs) if ever that seemed more true (laughs) it's today so that that particular bodhisattva vow and recitation comes more from the from the Zen tradition and it also includes beings are numberless i vow to liberate them. So it's about dedicating it's that it's a particular cultural flavor of of that heart's dedication that I think naturally flows from us uh, that is uh, that's in regard that regards other beings as oneself and that when we say delusions are numberless or beings are numberless we're, we're really we're recognizing that that there is no real other that the beings that appear in our mind as other, we, we vow to recognize each one as our own, as ourselves. And that it's the fundamental delusion that strikes at the heart of all of our delusions that we even, that there really are uh, numberless beings, that there really are numberless delusions, but the real delusion is the delusion of separateness. And once we see that, that the bodhisattva ideal is both um, is both unleashed and it's fulfilled by seeing through our own our own delusion. So I, I would say the place to start this season to end all delusions is. Uh, it wasn't it Gendon Rinpoche that says don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who's already resting quietly at home in front of your own fireplace. So it begins right here. So, so what kinds of delusions, what kinds of delusions do you fall into yourself? So that's what, that's what we want to look into. And you know, when I think of my own my own individual delusions, it would be one the delusion of of separateness, the delusion that the mistaken the case of mistaken identity with my with my gender, with my roles, with my race with my um, so many different things where I become identified, misidentified with something that is not essential to my nature. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.